Welcome to another Britflix Frightfest preview podcast. Today, I've got with me. Please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Russell Friedenberg, and I'm, I'm, the name of my film is Windwalkers. Okay, and what was your what was your role on that movie? I am the writer and director of the film, and I also play uh, a pertinent role in oh. the core group uh, of the film. Okay, okay. Do you want to give us a brief synopsis of what Windwalkers is about? Uh, Windwalkers is uh, a, a film that is about a, a family, a group of friends and family that go off into the Florida Everglades, and one of the young men that is part of this annual hunting trip has just come home from serving overseas in Afghanistan. Okay. And he's come home with a he's come home with a dark secret. And as they settle into their camping trip in this cabin, one by one, they start to mysteriously disappear, and you don't know if he's responsible or not. Uh, okay, okay. Now this may seem like a crass question because it, it's it's quite binary. But if if a film is fifty fifty, if a, if a horror film could be fifty fifty, equal parts scare to equal equal parts either gore or graphic violence, what is the ratio for your movie? And let me tell you that other people I've spoken to have added into that mix 25% mystery and things like that. So if you think, how does your, how does your film break down? Sure, my film breaks down, well, I mean, it's a supernatural thriller with action elements. And it's okay. Kind of a, so the classic three-act structure where you have character building, situation building, the first act, then everything begins to sort of unravel in the second act, and the third act is a rocking, rocking action film. Okay. So, and you have, so in terms of breaking it down into percentages, I would say it's 30% gore, 30% action, and 40% character building. Sounds like the perfect movie. What's that now? I said it sounds like a perfect movie. Oh, thank you. I think so. I'm really proud of it. So where and when can people see it at FrightFest? Yeah, Windwalkers is playing Friday the 28th at 12.50 uh, on Discovery Screen 1. So then, let's talk about the... the, the you were the writer-director, so let's talk about the script first. Um, mm -hmm. In the development of Windwalkers, what would you say was the hardest challenge for you to resolve in storytelling terms, especially given, like you say, that there's a, a big a big chunk of this is about the development of character as much as it is about delivering the, you know, the action and the scares. It's a really easy question to answer. Okay. The hardest thing about writing Windwalkers was when you put seven characters in a cabin and try to make it interesting. <laughs> How do you create inter interpersonal relationships, dynamics, mistrust? Um, and and create a situation where you feel like they're being predated and not understanding whether or not they're being predated by something externally or from one of their own, and continue to sort of unravel their backstory and their relationships that led to that place in time. Okay. So that was the hardest thing, you know, just to really get into the characterization. I'm a firm believer, um, kind of in the David Mamet principle, that there is no plot, there is only character. So... My focus in this regard was to try to create as much of a hothouse 
claustrophobic environment with these characters as possible. So what was the genesis of this idea then? If 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 it's about if it's about starting with that character, where did you start? Um, I'm a scene writer, and the thing that tri- intrigued me about starting this was I had this idea of of there's all of these indigenous stories. Windwalkers is kind of my own sort of mythology, and the the scene that hooked me into this indigenous story was whether you're talking about Wendigo or Wendigo or Iktomi, all these kind of shapeshifters okay. that are sort of relative to the to the mythos of indigenous cultures of North America. Yeah. And they're basically stories about redemption and revenge and the conjuring of the spirit to take revenge for misdeeds. And for me, the storyline, the theme is what happens when you have these forces of colonialization that have come over and taken over the indigenous people's land, you know, 100 years prior but now these indigenous cultures have forgotten their story, and their young men are serving overseas and doing the same thing in other lands. And when they come home, are they, are they going to be bringing that disease of war with them, or are they landing in a space where that spirit has always remained? And because they've forgotten the stories, that's going to come back as blowback on them for doing the same things against other countries that they had done to them in their own culture 100 years prior. So that's the theme of it. Gosh, that's like the ultimate good and bad karma battle, isn't it? Yes, sir. You 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 say you you directed this and you starred in it. How how do you go about? How do you direct yourself? How does that work? Well, you know, I, I I'm definitely not starring in it. It's a core group of seven, and the main central character is uh, the actor Zane Holtz, and then okay. there's Rudy Youngblood and Glenn Powell and Phil Burke, and Kyle Gordon, and Jay LaRose, all these wonderful, wonderful actors, and I'm one of the core group. Um, but there, I, I felt that, um, well, I felt the need to be in this particular project just because as a, as a writer-director, and I've done this a number of times in the past, yeah. to be in the mix moment to moment only feeds me on a directorial, in a, uh, from a storytelling perspective. So I just felt to be included in the emotional moment to moment as the group moves forward in the storytelling, it was only me beneficial as a director to be connected. And I think it really worked out that way. I think the core group is really emotionally connected to one another. And as they start to separate and as this sort of mistrust comes over them against one another, we really feel that sort of breaking apart of the core group because there's an emotional context there. Okay. Now, when, when you were looking at the screenplay and you were taking it forward into production, what what aspect of the shoot seemed to be the most insurmountable, and how did you get over that creatively? Well, yeah, this, it's, you know, it's like real estate. It's location, location, location. Okay. You know, originally the script was written to take place in a cabin in the woods in the midst of winter, and the hunting group had been snowed in at an early snowfall. Okay. Um, and then when the funding came through, we actually ended up coming through um, in the southern part of the United States, but we shot it um, basically in an environment that mimics the Everglades. So the hardest part was the location because we were in a, in a locale where there was, you know, nine-foot mosquitoes and 27-foot alligators and, and all sorts of things that could, you know, predate us at any moment, packs of... Uh, packs of wolf spiders that travel around at night and only wanted to befriend you that you didn't want anything to do with. So it was, and, and of course, you know, every filmmaker that makes a, a low-budget film of this nature 
is going to say that the hardest thing is the budgetary restraints as well as the time restraints. And we shot this in 17 days, which is nearly suicidal. <laughs> you shot it so, in how many it days, sorry? 17 days. Wow. Yeah, 17 days. And, you know, when you tie in all of the action elements and all of the character storylines and all the movement, it was quite quite an overtaking to do, undertaking to do. What what type what type of director are you? How how do you like to? I mean, given given you you obviously been on jobs where you've been the actor and you've obviously received direction in different ways, and some obviously you respond to better than others. How does that translate with you as a director with other actors? You know, it's, it's a good question, and I, I my background is in theater. Okay. Uh, I've, I've I've been in theater for years and years and years. So again, it's all for me about character and. Getting in that process with the actors was the most enjoyable part before we got the film on its feet. Mm. It was literally talking endlessly about our backgrounds and how we were interrelated and our stories and who went to high school with whom and who betrayed who and who told secrets. And all of these little moments that I think really come around to sort of giving uh, layer after layer as the onion of the storyline unpeels and this mistrust begins to sort of appear between one another. That, that for me is where I really love, you know, love being a director, getting inside the story, getting inside the characters. And um, I'm a huge fan of, and all the movies I've done, Land and Landscape are one of the main characters. I love getting inside what that sort of like the chessboard, you know, the, the landscape, the backdrop that we're playing against. And right. I really think the, visu the visual aspect of the film is gorgeous. And we really feel like the characters are, are just pawns against this greater landscape and perhaps a greater story that they're just part of. I must admit, I forget sometimes that, 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 that as from a writing point of view, which this is the point of view I know, I know best, is that when you speak to other writers, they, they'll constantly try and, you know, it doesn't make sense, it does make sense. And recently I sat mm -hmm. down with a, with a couple of actors to go through five or six scenes and I'd, I'd forgotten how much their instinct is to forensically examine what the character's doing and why. That the plot isn't is almost a secondary thought to them, obviously, because they're trying to get into the heads of character. Absolutely, you know, one of the greatest things I've ever heard was a criticism when I once I was doing a play, and, and the director and I weren't really meeting eye to eye, and he said, "You think." He said, you think the whole play is about you? And I said, absolutely. Every single character in the play should think that the whole play is about them. It's their experience. So, you know, and I think that one of the most important things a director can do with actors is to respect all of their insights and all of their questions and all of the layers that they're going after. Because when they're doing a movie, and I had some great actors, yeah. when they're doing a movie that's this low budget, they're doing it because they're excited about the story. They're excited about the character. And the, the, it's your job as a director to really support that exploration. And, and that, you know, for me, that's what gives me the most excitement and to see these characters come alive in a way that's just dynamic. Yeah, so in a way, what you're saying is that to, to ignore that enthusiasm will be to miss an opportunity to discover something about what's going on in the film. Absolutely. You know, I, I'm a big believer... And, you know, the story takes on its own life. There's a story you write and a story you shoot and the story you edit. And you have to be in control of all of those dynamic, uh, you know, dynamic storytelling um, adventures. But in the end, you're actually in, 
you're you're in a collaboration, if you will, with the story. And if you're not listening to what the story is telling you, like the actor, hmm. then you're you know you're displaced as well. So, and that's you know again to dovetail back to your original question, that's you know one of the reasons why I enjoy so much being involved as an actor in some of these productions because I, I feel integral to every single part of it energetically. No, that sounds that sounds really that sounds perfectly logical. Um, so, what 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 are you most what are you most excited about seeing with the uh, the fright fest audience in terms of sequences or scenes or point or key points in the movie in terms of their experience? Oh, I, I am so excited to witness the audience sort of going into my sort of heart of darkness, if you will, going mm. down the river sticks of these characters yeah. and just watching them get more and more uncomfortable as the onion unpeels and as the pressure mounts until they think there's absolutely no hope left for any of these characters. And then our lead hero, uh, Zane, takes on the thing that is predating them in a very action-oriented and heroic way. That's, so I'm just excited to experience beat-to-beat, moment-to-moment, the story and go on a journey with the audience. Now, uh, do, you to, do you want to remind us then, when, when, when and where can people see the movie? Sure. It's Friday the 28th at 12.50, uh, Discovery Screen 1 at Fightback. Okay, and that's a that's the European premiere, isn't it? That's the world premiere. Oh, world premiere. I apologise, I apologise. No, um, no worries. That's the world premiere. We're so excited to have, a, have our world premiere in London with the great fans of Fightback. Can't wait. Indeed, indeed. Now, um, is is there beyond the premiere? Then is there is that is there a plan for those people that that listening to this that aren't going to Fright Fest? Is there a is there a, is there an official release date yet, or is that is is the film about to go on a on a tour of festivals or anything like that? It's it's right now. It's getting a uh, it's getting a UK release across all platforms on September twenty fifth, and we are part of North America. We're being released. On October 16th, as part of the eight films to die for, which is um, Fox and After Dark Films, releases. That's a great plan. They pick up eight movies, and it's called Eight Films to Die For. We're one of the eight. Okay, that's that before. Yeah, they're fantastic. Check them out. After Dark Films and Eight Films to Die For. They're, they've been around since uh, I think 2009 with this brand. It's a great brand and. And they've got some great movies in this match, so we're excited to be part of it. Nice one, nice one. Now, uh, as as uh, as as um, Britflix is, is is usually about British filmmakers, um, I wanted to get the podcast back on message. So, if you could uh, tell us your favourite British horror film and why you think it's so interesting. Oh, oh! Don't look now. Is my even though it's, I shot in in, in um, Venice mm. is my favourite British horror film. I absolutely think uh, 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 Donald Sutherland's performance in that is just incredible and the tension and the weirdness of it, sort of like going into sort of this existential landscape where you don't know if something supernatural is predating them or if it's something real and corporeal. And in the end, this incredibly dark interpersonal twist that happens. I just love that film. No, no, no! It's a, uh, it's uh, with with a uh, with a heavy heart. I heard the news they're going to be remaking it. No, don't do it! <laughs> no. <laughs> oh God! It well, was it, it was in the film press early this year. Who's remaking it? I, d- I don't remember who it is, but I, I didn't want to know any more once I saw that news. Oh God, I understand. I mean, 
but I mean, I think that that's one of one of my great laments with the current state of of cinema is like we have all these incredible storytellers, and no one's willing to take this risk to take new stories out there, and and so they're kind of rehashing things where they think the safe audience that is. But in that case, you never know because it might just be film buffs like you and I, Stuart, that even remember that movie. Well, no, I think that's well, that's what they trade on, isn't it? But I think you know you saw what they did to what not they, but what happened to something like The Wicker Man, which was. Um... Which was which, which I don't know if you know originally went out as a double bill with Don't Look Now. Right, right. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I you know, the one I hope they never, ever, ever remake is the uh, the the Changeling with George C. Scott. Ah, okay, okay. And have you ever seen that? The Changeling oh, George C. Scott. And... Great movie. Great, great movie. Great movie. Great movie, and that holds up. That holds up. So yeah. Well, I think it's that. I mean, it's that. It's that. No, I mean, it's just going back to your own film. It's that notion that you're allowed in horror. You you are allowed character, and you're allowed to develop things that draw you in, other than just simply when's the next scare coming. I'm a big fan of you know having something to say too, and I think that you know there are, I, there's you know there's there's horror porn and and bloody sort of disgusting kind of stuff, and for me there has to be a psychological, um, something at play psychologically in the interpersonal relationships with characters. I think horror is a great stage to mount politics as well. I think people only think that science fiction is, but I disagree. I think if you, if you really get into the vein of horror, it is a wide-open landscape to do really smart character-driven films, and you can have stuff behind it, behind the popcorn movie, subtextually, that audiences will glean and really enjoy. Well, I mean, two two classics, obviously, Night of the Living Dead and The Exorcist took on two very big subjects, didn't they, through the through the medium of a horror film, you know. Absolutely. I mean, you can't get a, a, a more anti-consumer film than Night of the Living Dead. It was mm. set in a mall, for yeah. great sake, right? Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, look, sir, thank you very much for uh, taking time to come on the, the Britflix Preview podcast. Good luck with, uh, with Wind Walkers at Fright Fest. Thank you so much, Stu. I really appreciate you taking the time and uh, and wishing you all the best with all your endeavors. Sounds like you got some great and exciting things happening there for yourself. I hope. Well, hopefully next year I'm interviewing myself. Absolutely. <laughs> if you need me interview, just give me a ring. <laughs> <laughs> all right, buddy. Take care. <laughs> you too, Stuart. Have a great day. Bye bye. If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. 
It's time for another season of The Palmetto Porch, an original podcast from Discover South Carolina. I'm Devin Whitmire. Join me as I get to the heart of what makes South Carolina such a great place to visit by speaking to the locals who make it so special. Premiering December 5th, find The Palmetto Porch wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about our show, visit scpalmettoporch.com.